global supply chain and logistics industry leaders gather, connect, and exchange ideas at IHS Market's annual TPM conference organized by the JOC. In our new podcast series, Beyond TPM, we keep those conversations going, taking a deep dive into critical, rapidly evolving topics and the insights uncovered this year at TPM 21. I'm Alessandra Barrett, the JOC's Senior Editor for Special Projects. Today I'm speaking with Sam Ruda, Director of the Port Department of the Port of New York and New Jersey. Thanks for joining me today, Sam. Thank you. It's my pleasure. A crisis often pulls people together. It provides a willingness to collaborate that may not have seemed possible before. And we've certainly talked about that this year with the overall COVID response throughout the supply chain. However, that doesn't always last. And I'm interested in the Port of New York and New Jersey's response because you did have an established formal network to to lean on with the Council on Port Performance, which had been created back in the summer of 2013 in response to gridlocks at that point. So I wonder, could you just speak a bit about how that all worked? What did it look like inside uh, the, the Port Authority in your conversations and how that impacted your response? You know, since it already exists, it, it, we didn't have to reinvent uh, the, the wheel. But one thing that I would say on the Council of Port Performance is that we uh, increased the frequency of the meetings. Uh, it really had been kind of a quarterly forum. At the height of COVID, we were actually going bi-weekly, and now we're, we're continuing to do it on that same sort of cadence. Uh, but we did form another couple of forums. We also have a smaller uh, forum that was meeting weekly, now we've moved to bi-weekly. And that, that's really the uh, the Port Authority convenes, but it includes the um, kind of the core terminal stakeholder group. That forum raises information that's happening on the ground as it's happening. What was one moment where it all came together and, uh, and you, you really could pinpoint the benefit? Well, I think one really important example was as we saw the um, the volume really starting to rebound, we started going to a Saturday uh, gate operations. We we just need we needed more hours. We needed an extra day uh, uh, availability uh, to get in and out of the the port. And there's many more examples uh, of that. But that forum continues to uh, go on. We have a, a regular uh, agenda. And it's not just information sharing that's important here. It's sharing good information and then, you know, having action items uh, uh, that you do something uh, about. So I think we've learned a lot. I've certainly learned a hell of a lot more about all the moving parts and interrelationships with uh, the trucking industry, uh, the issues that they face. Uh, so it's it's really and pe- people have definitely gotten gotten smarter. We also use these forums. I mean, we we had with COVID going on, we had a tr- we had a horrendous uh, February from a from a weather standpoint. You know, record volumes. I think we lost four, if not five, days during the month of uh, February for for snow. The, these forums are just a perfect opportunity for everyone to align. 
you know, hours of operation, expanded hours of operation and, and so forth and get the information out to the trucking community and the, and the shipper community. How has this past year changed your thinking about proactively planning for large scale disruption? But let me start with a nod to you know the senior leadership of the agency, and that's uh, our executive director, Rick Cotton, our chairman, Kevin O'Toole. Probably three years ago, January, or maybe even four years ago, due to really severe weather, we, we really had a colossal meltdown at JFK Airport. Rick Cotton had only been with the agency for a few months. I mean, this was became a national... Uh, news story. And the issue was not reacting to it because it was a national news story, but I think it gets to a fundamental question and issue for our agency and for our operating model. We are not a uh, an operating port. Uh, we're a landlord port. And actually, our airports operate, have, have many attributes of a landlord model as, as, as well. We, we really moved the needle in terms of a public-private partnerships on the aviation side. But here was Rick Cotton's view of our situation at JFK in that awful uh, January weekend, is that we've chosen to be uh, a landlord uh, port. It's, it's a choice that we've, we've made. But in doing so, it doesn't absolve our ownership of issues and our role in, in issues, because uh, people don't say, hey, New York Shipping Association, or hey, Global Container Terminal, or hey, Mar, what are you doing about it? They will say, the public will, will demand that the Port Authority speak to what, what, what the plan is. So th- I think there's an expectation as we came into COVID that you know we would we would engage proactively uh, on this with, with with a focus across the agency not just port that as a public transportation agency uh, we were going to do everything but let me start with in a in hopefully a, a a safe way to keep our essential services open uh, throughout the pandemic and we've done that and i and i would just note I certainly have modeled some of our stakeholder forums uh, uh, based on the forums that we continue to have twice a week at the uh, agency level. I mean, we are meeting as a senior leadership group across the agency twice a week. It was three times a week uh, until maybe about four months ago, uh, talking about operations issues across the agencies. And I I give uh, a standard port report uh, on that. So the expectation is, is that we are going to be take a, a leadership uh, role uh, uh, in this. I'm going to go with a classic follow-up here. Lessons learned? I think the learning here is that we have to think about capacity and capability in terms of resiliency and, and flexibility. Because there, there are going to be there are going to be lulls, but there's also going to be you know strains on the gateway. And so I think that that's one learning, this idea of of resiliency and the ability to expand capacity uh, when you need it. Now, none of these things are easy. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, we we saw a turnaround in in volume going back to around July of 2020. 
I mean, it's just been double digit growth since uh, since then. So uh, we are eight or nine months into, you know, just unbelievable uh, volumes through the port. And just to give some color to that, our and we're not comparing ourselves to uh, uh, the COVID year of 2020. We're comparing ourselves to uh, pre-COVID 2019. I mean, our, we just released, made public our March numbers. Uh, and we were 35% above the same March in uh, 2019, pre-COVID. Now, there is not 35% more truckers. Uh, we don't have 35% more acreage on our terminal capacity. There's not 35% more chassis. I think the big learning in all of this is the interrelationships between, you know, the, the volumes and all the handoffs across all the, the people that use the port, the trucking industry, the chassis providers, the warehouse uh, uh, operators. There are a lot of stakeholders and, you know, they have to all be uh, coordinated. Uh, labor supply is not the only issue. It's certainly a important one. Uh, flexibility of how labor is deployed is, is a big issue. Hours of operation is a big uh, issue. I would say that these forums have been useful because, I mean, everyone is hearing the same information about chassis availability, the numbers, uh, trends in, in dwell time. So. I think this whole experience tells us a lot of things about port planning. And I, and I think we have to really expand the breadth uh, when we talk about port planning. I think we really need to have a, a much better command on the, 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 the flex capability of uh, the gateway. Uh, I'm not going to say there's, there hasn't been bumps along the road. I'm not going to say that there hasn't been you know, longer lines or frustrated uh, truckers, uh, but we don't have um, 15, 20, 20 ships waiting to uh, anchor. In fact, we have none. So uh, everyone has to come together and pull in the, pull in the same direction. Uh, the good news is there really aren't a lot of unknown knowns here. We, we actually know what all the, uh, uh, as I like to say, the weak underbelly uh, of, of the gateway uh, is. And there, there's a lot of work to be done uh, to improve the uh, trucker experience among a number of uh, items. So zooming out a bit, the port's master plan looks 30 years. Um, yeah. Did this trigger any dramatic rethinks there? I wouldn't say a dramatic uh, rethink. It's kind of amazing how timely the, the master plan recommendations were. were. The first action item coming out of the master plan is actually in motion, and that's a navigation a assessment of the channels, waterways for New York, New York Harbor with the Army Corps of Engineers, and that's happening as we, we speak. So, you know, like, like anything, when you do master plans and you're looking at future growth, it's, it's amazing how you always land on 3% growth as your planning uh, assumptions. And if you annualize the, the growth that we've experienced in the eight months, well, if the master plan got completed in 2020, you know, we, we've just had six years of growth or five years of growth in uh, a period of eight months. So 
I think two things really strike out at us. Uh, A, no one has had time to plan around five years of growth in, in eight months. For, fortunately, uh, we had some flex capacity, uh, including uh, underutilized terminal capacity at our Howland Hook Staten Island facility. But the rethink is that we, we need to be looking, uh, and we are with our terminal operators, about uh, added capacity actions, investments now. We do not have 15 years to do this. For your planning purposes, what are your expectations? What are your thoughts on consumer demand and how that's going to impact volumes going forward this year? It's it's unclear and it's I don't think it, it requires a whole lot of time. I mean, there's a lot of questions about as we kind of get through COVID, whether this massive shift in disposable income going from the service uh, sector to consumer, home goods, the stay-at-home commodity, if that will flatline and we'll go back to sort of a normal uh, growth trajectory. We may go back to a normal growth trajectory which for the Port of New York and New Jersey has been in that 3 to 4% uh, growth range. And that, that's kind of been our historic uh, average uh, peak pre-COVID. But it's very clear that what's happened here is, is that the demand curve has, has shifted up. So our starting point now on, on the first 15 years of the master plan, that bar has just shifted uh, upward. So it's gonna it moves forward uh, a lot of the uh, land use decisions that we have to to make. Maybe my my last point is uh, all the easy land use decisions have been made, just given our footprint. And today, if you say yes to uh, tenant Y, uh, you may be saying no to tenant Z. So. While we are a, a landlord uh, port, decisions that we make, A, are going to be harder, more consequential, because we can't say yes to, 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 to everyone. Uh, we like having a diversified portfolio of, of, of businesses. Containers are our core. Uh, so it really you know, requires just a lot of very thoughtful uh, planning. But our zone to make those decisions have been moved forward. One of our editors, Kathy Roberson, recently posted an article on JOC.com addressing the topic of migration from the cities and what that's doing to e-commerce and, you know, that as a trend. And I wonder if you could speak as certainly a stakeholder in one of the largest uh, population hubs to, to your thoughts on those predictions and what that might do or might not for port planning. Yeah, one thing I would say is, and this is just a learning uh, just over my professional career, is, you know, it's easy to look at a situation as it is today, and this is getting a lot of attention, and, and think that, you know, sort of the extreme situation is actually going to be how is going to be the equilibrium. Here's here's my thought. I I, I actually don't think that um, you know uh, 
the city, uh, certainly New York City, the death knell of, of, of the city is, is, is upon us. Um, rung, it's been rung many times. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and nor, nor am I going to offer sort of a simplistic, you know, uh, Milton Friedman-esque, you know, the free market will, will solve everything. But, <laughs> you know, just as we say everyone's leaving the city, you know, you start seeing that in certain sectors on the real estate side, residential real estate side, New York's just having its best, best, uh, best month sending records. So I think that COVID unleashes a number of really tectonic forces. So it's not an issue of nothing is changing, a lot's changing. I think the definition of where you work, uh, working in cities, commuting to cities. I think all of that is up for discussion in terms of what that is going to look like. But market forces in terms of pricing, supply and, and demand, I don't want to ever say that like real estate, is it's an efficient market and that it, it responds on a dime, uh, especially on the downside. It, it responds very quickly on the, on the, on the upside. Uh, but I, I think that as uh, pricing, rents, ownership, as there's a recalibration on the pricing side, uh, people want to be in the city. Uh, it's just so much going on. Opportunities are, are, are going on. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a combination of, uh, of both. What are your thoughts on the future of brick and mortar? I, I think that you got to look at the whole, though, um, e-commerce uh, as being both a uh, a suburban phenomena as, as well as an urban phenomena. I mean, that's what the data is is telling us. It's probably now both the, the, the last mile and the last 10 miles. I do not take the view that uh, retail brick and mortar is uh, is dead on arrival. I actually think that brick and mortar retail that have a really compelling value proposition are going to do very, very well. And I think those brick and mortar stores will also uh, become uh, places and in, in, in points uh, for, for both in-person uh, uh, purchasing as well as kind of mini fulfillment centers for e-commerce as well. So. I actually think it's an, an exciting time. It drives a whole set of discussions around labor supply. These fulfillment centers are extremely high tech, but they are also um, labor intensive because you're, you're, you're picking and packing for very small order quantities at the individual uh, level. So there's a huge demand for labor at all these fulfillment sites. And it's not just on Amazon. Amazon is a, is, a, is a big component of it, but it, they're certainly not the only uh, one. And getting new people into the trucking industry. You know, we're, we're getting involved in that in terms of workforce development, uh, a lot of outreach, education on how to get your commercial driver's license. I, I think ports, public ports, you know, we, we're, we have an increasing role now, amongst other things, in attracting people into the industry because I see a huge demand for job opportunities. Well, that's a great note to close on. I look forward to having you back so that we can continue this conversation and cover more topics in the future. Thanks again, Sam. 
Well, it's my pleasure on behalf of the Port Authority. Uh, we have a, a great deal of regard uh, for the uh, Journal of Commerce and what you do. And uh, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Beyond TPM is a production of the JOC, part of the Maritime and Trade Division of IHS Market. For more news, analysis, and business intelligence for all things shipping and logistics, visit JOC.com and follow us on social media.